Awesome. Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome back to Author News Weekly, your weekly show where we talk about all things author, authorial, author, authorizing, whatever. Uh, I'm Ari McGee, your host, and I am joined, as always, by a panel of experts. Let's introduce them before we get started. First off, uh, running from the police currently is Mr. Jim Heskett. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, me. that's, that's me. me. That's down here. I, there's like cop cars everywhere, apparently. Like I got no outside my window. My name is Jim Heskett, and I have no warrants out for me. <laughs> no, as far as I know. Warrants. You know <laughs> Excellent. Well, breaking from tradition, I will go to the actual wanted man uh, staying at an undisclosed island uh, in the middle of the Pacific, Mr. Nick Thacker. What's up? Running from the cops all day long. That's right. A song man. about that, right? Uh, it could be. Yeah. yeah. Eric Clapton sang something related, I believe, a long time ago. Maybe we can have you uh, a freestyle it for us before we get out of here. I, I definitely think having Nick Thacker rap is, is what people came here for. I concur. And last but not least, uh, Mrs. Philippa Warner. Hello. Awesome. Awesome. It's good to see you guys this week. It's good to see you guys. And uh, before we get started, I got to be honest with you, I got to nerd out a little bit uh, uh, because uh, 14-year-old me is extremely excited right now because I just watched the first 10 minutes of the Mortal Kombat movie that's coming out tomorrow, and I'm very excited. Uh, is anybody else as excited as I am about Mortal Kombat? Did you say Did you say Moral Kombat? Because I feel like that's a much different show. No, 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 no. You get those movies for free. They They don't – you can get them from the internet. This one's coming on HBO Max tomorrow. <laughs> Mortal Kombat. I'm waiting for Immortal Kombat, where they fight, but nobody ever dies. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I don't know. I had something to say there, but I'm going to let that go because it's not going to be good. All right. In any event, so uh, I will take my excitement and push it out of the way so we can start to show out the right way with the news. I never, you, I never know. I never know when you're going to go. When you're going to drop it. I just, I had I everything needed. I was reading the news on the other screen that you sent I me, know. and I'm, I'm just. I know, I know. I, listen, I'm going to get better at that. I promise. I keep saying I, it. It's not, I definitely it might, think it's your fault, not mine. It might not ever happen. Hallmark of. I think it's the hallmark of the show. That's why people tune in every week. The, yeah. Yeah, like how long is the pause going to be this week? Yeah, if we started getting it right, I think people would assume we got corporate or we sold out or something. So that would be bad. Very bad. All right. So the first story, this is kind of a circle back to a story that we did a while ago. And it basically involves uh, Disney playing hardball with people's uh, copyrights. This is a little bit of a different situation than the one that we had spoken about previously, but it's essentially the same thing with writers and, 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 and rights and things like that. So did you guys get a chance to look at this? And my, my question is we can chat a little bit about what exactly this entails, but my main question is how could you stop something like this from happening to you? Uh, and something like this being that Disney two guys wrote 
uh, the treatment for a movie called Hunters, which later became Predator. And uh, they think they own rights to it that Disney doesn't think they own rights to. And uh, so it's kind of weird right now. So what do you guys think about this? Uh, is it more of the same or is there something we could do as writers to stop the shenanigans? Uh, Jim, what do you think, man? Uh, stop the shenanigans. I don't, I don't know. This, what I mostly took away from this article was that all the legalese in it made me glad that I gave up on my dream of becoming a screenwriter very early on. You know, fortunately, I was only a couple of years into my writing career when I gave up on writing screenplays. But I don't know. Don't don't mess with Disney. <laughs> I mean, really, this just reminds me that it's all about how powerful your um, your attorneys are, how large your legal your legal department is and um it and doesn't matter you have to throw it up yeah yeah i mean um are you going to be like the guy who invented the intermittent wipers and ruined your life just to prove a point or i don't know that's a deep reference that i don't understand could you <laughs> it's a maybe near movie oh okay yeah i don't got that one uh, I was thinking maybe it'd be uh, Sandra Bullock based on our earlier conversation, but you threw me for a loop there. Uh, I could go into more detail about the intermittent wipers if you like. Please do. Oh, this guy invented the intermittent wiper and the car company stole the idea from him and he spent the rest of his life in court trying to be proven that they did it. And he eventually did, but he lost everything in the process. Mm, a Pyrrhic victory. Yeah. Mm. No bueno. Pippa, what do you think? What do you think? I, I think... Don't fuck with Disney as a God dang. You guys are a hive mind today. <laughs> like don't, don't get involved. Don't like there's, there's definitely, there was that one author that wrote what became gravity, I think. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I forget which, which company it was that had ripped them off and it was a blatant rip off and they never got any, whoops, uh, never got any of the uh, details or any of the royalties from that. But if you have a chance to write for Disney, maybe don't. <laughs> really? I mean, so that that's kind of my question. Let's say that you write something and like this is real pie in the sky or whatever, and they, they're very excited about your 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 treatment or your draft or whatever, and they want you to come on. What do you do to pre prevent yourself from getting raked over the coals? I don't know. I don't know because, I, I mean, I say that, but if they were like, oh, come write a Star Wars novel or something like that, I'd probably jump on that in a hot second. So I mm – -hmm. I have no idea. <laughs> Look, I mean, I think we as writers, um, I heard Ernie Dempsey, a friend of mine say, if you want to sell donuts, you got to make donuts. Um, and I think as writers, I mean, it was really, it spoke to me because I'm like, I, the last thing I want to do every day is write more books, but there's no way around it. If I'm a writer, I'm going to, I'm going to write. And so I think that's the answer for me is um, not necessarily to go into these kind of transactions, expecting to get raked over the coals, expecting Disney to, um, to, to treat you poorly but know that it's, it's a strong possibility. Um, and so I think, and that's one of the reasons why I never really went toward the screenwriting side of things um, because there's not a market for it unless you're able to sell it to a studio. Like there's no secondary, there's no people just buying screenplays to read them um, because they're interested in screenplays like there is with books, right? Like books, people, there's a market for that. We, we know people read books. My point is sometimes a book hits it big and gets optioned and becomes a movie and there's all kinds of, you know, fan and fanfare and all that. And, and it's great. Um, but if, if that's the only victory that you're going for when it comes to screenplays, I feel like you're just going to be disappointed because it, a lot of it's a crapshoot. And it, so my point is um, 
going full circle, my point is if, if you're writing screenplays for a living and this happens to you, your best course of action is to write more screenplays. I mean, just this is going, this is a, a shady industry from the top to the bottom and Disney's um, in the limelight because they're one of the biggest. And so they're doing this is probably not the exception, but the norm. Um, I think it's probably rampant all throughout Hollywood. And I, I bet anybody seasoned vet would, yeah, they'd be a little uh, cynical at this point, but they're probably saying, yeah, that's just what happens. We just write more screenplays. You get paid your ten, twenty thousand $20,000 options advance. And then if they make it a huge movie and cut you out of the deal because of better lawyers and legalese and all that. Okay, great. Don't, don't, you know, shed a tear over what could have been just go write the next screenplay. And I'm saying all that, not, and this never happened to me, but, um, it's, it's, it's a career, not a, um, not a, I'm going to write the best screenplay and hope it goes to the moon. And if it doesn't, then I'm going to spend the rest of my life fighting it in court, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's the waste of time. There was an excellent Mads Mikkelsen quote this week. Did anyone see that come across their dash? No. Oh, one eye himself. What did he say? Uh, he was talking about careers versus work. And he said, the, the thing that I do is that every single thing I do is the most important thing in the world to me while I'm doing it because you build a career by doing all of those things in retrospect. But if what you're looking at is building a career instead of doing a particular work, then every work is a stepping stone mm. and you're never really there with it. Mm. Just very interesting. But I like that. I like that. Makes a lot of sense. Good stuff. And one, uh, one little quote, just to wrap up this story, uh, from the deadline article, which is where I got all this information from was, uh, they said that they know that, you know, Disney is willing to play hardball about copyrights, uh, because they say that with the fact that steamboat Willie and Mickey mouse himself still isn't in the public domain and likely won't be come the expiration of their extension, uh, at the end of 2024, they say, you know, Disney likes to play hardball when it comes to copyright. And I didn't know, I, I'm no copyright expert, but I didn't know you could, you know, you could keep things from coming out of the, into the public domain once the statute kind of passed. So uh, they apparently have some kind of crazy magic going on. You uh, can't, but Disney can't. Fair, <laughs> fair point. That's supposed to be read. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Uh, that's, that's pretty crazy to me. So that was news to me. All right. Let's move on to the second story. Uh, this is something that Mr. Heskett hit me to a couple of days ago, and it is uh, Apple leads the next chapter of podcasting with Apple podcast subscriptions. All right. And so the gist of this is let me just read this. Uh, starting in May, listeners in more than 170 countries and regions can sign up for premium subscriptions that include a variety of benefits curated by creators, such as ad-free listening, access to additional content, and early or exclusive access to new series. Listeners will be able to enjoy premium subscriptions from independent voices and premier studios, including a bunch of places I don't know, da 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 da, da. So, uh, this is kind of interesting uh, as people who do podcasts all of us are involved in podcasts, multiple podcasts. Uh, this is interesting because this is kind of the realm that's normally serviced by something like Patreon, where you uh, you know you have a subscription and people get extra content. And now it looks like Apple's kind of moving in on that. So, uh, what do you think this means uh, for for monetizing podcasts, guys? 
Well, I Jump think. In. Sorry, go ahead, Jim. <laughs> Um, it, was, it was like it was like at, at an intersection. You're like, you go. No, you go. You no, you go. Well, I think this is huge. I think it's potentially very, very huge because the thing is, the, it makes the barrier to entry so low because half the people in the world have an iPhone in their pocket right now. And as of iOS 8 or 9, I don't remember which one, the, the podcast app comes standard. And as we all remember, you know, in the pre-book funnel days, how horrific it was to have to try to explain how to sideload books to people, getting people to download an app or to download, you know, whether you're trying to get them to download the, the book funnel audio app or chirp or whatever it is, getting people to download an app is such a huge hurdle. The fact that everyone who has an iPhone has access to this already, it's such a massive platform. If you wanted to sell your audiobooks completely outside of ACX and not mess with Audible at all, you could potentially, you know, um, I mean, the market is going to be huge and flooded, but it's easier to get there than it is to try to get people to download some special app just to listen to your audiobooks. It's already there. They just have to pay for it. It's. I think this is potentially huge and could be a, a very legitimate new way to deliver audiobook content. Are you planning on using it for that, Jim? I'm not sure. I mean, as of this recording, we just heard about this like two days ago. Um, I might. Uh, I have, you know, some things are still tied up with ACX. Um, some things I haven't produced yet. Some things I've kind of been waiting for maybe an opportunity like this to produce. Um, but I'm still, I'm still thinking through that. Yeah. I'm curious to see what the market for actual podcast, not, not audiobooks, but podcasts themselves, uh, paid versions of, of podcasts is, uh, you know, I, I'm, I always think of myself as someone who it, it embraces change and, and new, um, you know, progressions in the industry or whatever. But then when it comes down to it, I see stuff like this and I'm like, rah, 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 rah. you know, I'm a comrade. No one's going to pay for a podcast or a podcast should be free. Rah, rah, rah. You know, so I don't know if that's like, a, it's something people already, Hey, podcasts are like free uh, versions of, of radio or kind of style content. And, uh, and I don't want to pay for it. I don't, I don't know if that's going to be, um, it's a chicken or the egg thing too. Like, because Apple's now offering it and Apple's pretty huge. Um, maybe they'll create a market for paid podcasts. Um, and it also may help the market, for like this podcast that's not paid and probably won't be um, rise to the top of a category that's, you know, free podcasts. You know, if, if all the best podcasts in the world go paid, then they become their own category, you know, and then people not wanting to pay will see our podcast. I don't, obviously once NPR goes paid, the, the next best news station is ours. So clearly we're going to have some, some more, some more listeners for that. Right. I mean, that, that's pretty fair to say, right? Yeah. So I think Pippa was saying that she didn't have anything to add on top of what you two said about the paid podcast thing. I find that hard to believe since she's <laughs> infinitely more intelligent than all three of us, but I'm willing to take her at her word this time. So. I, I'm not as informed about podcasts and, and I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking about all of the people that I'm going to contact after this mm. episode records uh, who are, you know, audiobook reporters and so on. And just to say, Ooh, what are you planning on doing with this? But podcast cadre who's going to know what's going on. All yeah. right, good times, good times. Well, let's go to this is a our third story here. It's it's uh nothing too in depth, but if you guys remember uh several episodes ago, we kind of talked about some new subscription models that were coming out 
for people to kind of, you know, sell their books and things like that. And uh, we were said we were going to kind of keep an eye on them and see how they're doing. So I found this and I don't specifically know if these were the services we were talking about, but I found this interesting. Uh, It's from a passive guy uh, from the passive voice. And the title is the runaway digital subscription train shows no signs of slowing. Uh, Sweden based unlimited digital book subscription service BookBeat is on target to exceed half a million subscribers in quarter two and is targeting 600,000 by the end of 2021. Uh, So their quarter one revenue was up 45% and subscribers were up 66% compared to the same period last year. Uh, And so they've got some, some more stats and data here about how many people are, are uh, consuming books via their subscription model. Now we've had conversations about whether we thought subscription models were viable for books and also how uh, trying to sell in other places besides the the States was probably a good idea. And it kind of looks like uh, that's true. I mean, what do you guys think? That's a lot of people consuming things that aren't just buying from Amazon. It looks like, right? Germany was one of my earliest big markets, so I wouldn't be surprised. And it's something that I'd want to look into as it just keeps reminding me how many big markets there are and what, and not to make assumptions about what language translations you should be looking at. Um, And I don't actually know if the vast majority of their books are in these languages or not. I have no idea. Hmm. I would guess that not a lot of people are translating into Finnish or Danish, for instance, but that could be very untrue. I have mm. no idea. Very niche. <laughs> I think it's really interesting um, that uh, this this seems pretty on target for the book industry because it's about 10 to 15 years behind trends in other industries where subscription services have been huge in, in other media for quite a while now. Um, but the the um, what was I going to say? Um, the thing is, subscription services are only going to get bigger because I think it's just so much easier to have the information, just to pay a fee and have it curated for you. You know, instead of having to go out to find the best books, the best movies, the best TV shows, you just join a service and then you tell it a few things you like and you don't like, and then it just recommends it for you. And that's way easier. It's more convenient just to pay the money and have everyone else choose it for you. I haven't paid any attention to my Netflix watch list in years. I just open up Netflix and it's like, hey, Jim, watch this. I'll go, okay. And then I watch that, Um, which is an infinitely better experience than having to hunt around and decide which is the best TV show to watch myself. It's a lot yeah, of pressure. I, I, I agree with that. Um, I think what we're seeing, though, is, is these subscription models don't necessarily represent more readers, um, but readers moving from buying individual books to readers moving to a subscription model. So I think we're going to see subscription models. I mean, we, we know that they work. We know businesses love them because they can get repeat customers who may or may not actually clog up their bandwidth. Um, so that, you know, they're just going along for the ride. They can make $120 a year at a $10 subscription and the person may only read three books, but everybody wins. Right. And so, um, yeah, they're not going to go away. Um, uh, but I, I'm curious to know if, um, this is showing an increase in the overall amount of readers out there or an increase in just subscription models versus 
meaning there, there's going to be at some point we're going to have to see the other side of it. Like are are the stores that are selling individual books like Amazon one at a time, not Kindle Unlimited, but Amazon, Amazon, are those going down in sales, you know, or are both going up, which is great for everybody because that means more people reading. So I, I'm curious. I'm, I don't even have a, um, a hypothesis there. I'm just, that's the question I have for this is what is it really showing us? Mm, that's a good question. I don't know. I guess we'll just keep an eye on, on things and see how the subscription stuff kind of goes and uh, see if there's some actionable Intel that we can get into as we move forward. So, uh, the next thing uh, that I think is kind of interesting is uh, it's a little craftish. It's a little craftish. It's about naming fictional characters, right? So how do you name your characters? That's what this is all about. Now, uh, if you write, you know, the amount of books that we've all written, you know, which is dozens and dozens of books, you kind of get stuck coming up with a lot of names and there's only so many times you can have Mike's and John's and, and people like that. So uh, the top three tips that uh, it's actually from passive voice, also passive guy uh, via a article by uh, Ann R. Allen. Uh, the top three tips were to uh, always Google your character's names, right? Cause you don't want to have a awkward situation with uh, they talk about a, a porn star and a politician um, choose names that fit the characters, which I think is a little weird because people's names kind of fit them. Uh, once you know them or in hindsight. And uh, the third one was choose names that begin with different letters because you know, if your villain's name starts with a D and your hero's name starts with a D and the best friend's name starts with a D, it can get a little cluttered on the page. So if people want to read that, they can take a look at that blog. There's some more actionable tips but I figured I'd ask you guys, uh, how do you come up with names for all these people in your fantastical worlds? So, oh, Lord. Uh, well, I actually have uh, – there are whole generators that you can use that will take language conventions and spit out names that follow them. So um, that can be useful if you're building uh, like a cross-cultural naming generator. Uh, so, for instance, one of these, and I had actually seen this article earlier in the week, hmm. was talking about how you need to be able to immediately pronounce the name. And that's a fairly wibbly concept for a few things. People who read fantasy, for instance, will be more likely to take time and puzzle out names. It also uh, slants very heavily towards um, white names. Um, cause you'll see a lot of people talk about, oh, I keep getting all of these people that are giving my book one star reviews because they, the protagonists have all of these weird Asian names. And you're like, yes, it is a book set in Vietnam. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's, there are a lot of really interesting ways to go with character naming and it. Um, it's, I'm reminded of good omens. Um, I don't know if any of you have read that. But there's a character named Pepper Galadriel Moonshine because she had hippie parents. And I believe the the opening sentence is there were two ways you could go with the name like Pepper Galadriel Moonshine and Pepper had gone the other way. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like so you can do so many interesting things with making names that fit mm. or making th names that really don't fit or, you know. 
you know, before before one of your other guys hop in, when you were talking about uh, <laughs> the Vietnamese name or like the white name, it made me think of that Key and Peel skit. Where the no. substitute teachers yelling at the you the, fucked up Aaron Aaron Jaquelin who's Jaquelin anyway I'm present sorry. classic <laughs> all right Jim what do, you, what do you got man um well I've always uh, I I think this is good advice you know don't name your character after a local politician especially if your character is going to be a porn star. Names that fit the character. I don't know. I write thrillers, so it doesn't really matter if it's Connor McDevlin or Devlin McConnor. It's all the same, pretty much. Okay. Um, when it when it comes to the the third point, naming characters with not the same first letter, I heartily agree with that. I've dropped books because they had too many characters with the same name, and I just got confused. You know, like Stephen King's It has seven main characters, and three of them have names that start with a B. Um, mm-hmm. There's Bill, there's Ben, and there's Bev. And Ben and Bev are almost literally the same name. You just flip one letter upside down. And I, I don't, it's very confusing. It's only because the book is a thousand pages long that you eventually get to know who everybody is. But names have never been precious to me. I know in some genres, like I've talked to romance authors, you say, oh, I could never change this character's name. He'll always be Bruce. Um, but to me, I've changed the character's name like the day before publication. Uh, mm-hmm. It's all, I, I'm much more concerned with names practically like does it does it stand out does it help you remember that person does it help describe them does it differentiate them from other characters yeah yeah I, I agree with what jim said i, I have an, a video that I, I did of uh, behind the book for my book the depths um where i talk about this because it was the second book i'd ever written and i didn't really know what i was doing but i kind of knew there were some characters i needed to have that fit certain stereotypes you know and um and so i just kind of went through and, and named them and then i gave it to my editor and she sent me this mean email and she was like, Hey, okay. Like everybody's name starts with J you have to change most of these. Um, and I realized that she was absolutely true. I think I had, I had like a John, a Jacob, a Jingleheimer Schmidt, um, a, a Jeremy. I mean, literally they were all J names. And so now when somebody's talking about my book, the depths, they're like, Oh yeah. Um, you know, Bryce. And I'm like, no, I don't know who that is because in my mind it was Jeremy. Um, then I just did a copy of find and replace at the very end. So just like Jim, I'm not very precious about the names. It's like they were, they were this person living in my mind as Jeremy for the entire process. And then right before publication, I was like, find replace Jeremy's now Bryce. <laughs> and then another thing, this is kind of an aside, but one of the things that I've, um, stopped doing is, um, so I'm a huge fan of the M dash. Like I just, I like to end sentences, like somebody's shouting and then all of a sudden they get cut off. I use the M dash as like a signifier. I used to do this where I would, I would, somebody would be shouting a name like Jeremy, but then it would say Jer, and then it would be an M dash to cut it off. Right. It's like, just like speech, but then the find and replace completely breaks. So if I go back and try to rename Jeremy to Bryce, I would get emails, but people would be like, Hey, so all of a sudden somebody's yelling for Jer. I don't, I don't know who that is. Like, it's just Bryce and this other person talking, you know, it's just kind of a note to authors. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't be, don't do what Nick does. Okay. Just be better than Nick. I'm with you, man. That literally happened to me with my last book. I changed a guy's name and uh, M dashed it up. And there was that one little three letters that was just stuck. And everyone emailed me and they're like, who's Ash? And I'm like, (laughs) wow, there there is no Ash. Don't worry about it. Just read the rest. Only in your imagination. Just keep reading. Give me more money. Bye. Who do you you think Ash is? (laughs) Oh, that's the secret Easter egg. (laughs) 
<laughs> You're right. Exactly. <laughs> That'll be in the next book. Yeah. <laughs> Read it slowly backwards and you will figure it out. All right. Awesome. So before we wrap up, we started last week uh, with some of Hugh Howie's old insights. And we kind of I kind of wanted to push through a couple of these as time permits every week or every episode and just see how much of them still hold up. Um, I only want to get to one this week because this is something that I think is uh, kind of polarizing sometimes between people. Um, you know, it's on his blog. We'll have a link to it. You know, I'm not going to read the title of the blog, but insight number four he has is that the best readers are the best writers. Okay. So his first paragraph is there aren't any shortcuts around this successful writers read. They read a lot and the best writers read a variety of books. It's impossible to stress the importance of this insight when aspiring authors ask my advice on making it as a writer. This is my most common first response read. So I know that's very common advice uh, when people are talking about people that write. Do you guys think that it is, it is enough to be, his most uh, his most given advice is reading. Do you take it with a grain of salt? Do you live that? Do you read a lot? What's your guys' reading schedule like at this point in your arthurial career? Uh, it's scattered. Um, I think it, so. There, there's a it's a double edged sword, right? Because if you're doing all output or all input things are going to start to get a little twisted. Um, so if you just keep writing and writing and writing and writing and you haven't been doing any reading, that tends to lead me towards burnout, and uh, creative burnout and things like that. And so uh, reading again will get me into this place of like, oh, wow, look at all these cool things people can do with language and story structure. And like, and it's great. You're, you're seeing all of this innovation. Um, but the last thing that I ever want to do is give uh, people another thing to stack into their life and say, you're not devoted to X as a profession unless you spend Y much time doing this one thing. Um, because there are writers who they get their 15 minutes of writing in a day when they're waiting in the carpool line to pick up their kids from school. And I don't want to be saying to them, Maybe you're 60 years old. Maybe you're, you've read all your life. I don't want to say you need to be reading X number of hours per week. I don't know your life. Mm. So I, I would say take in stories. It also doesn't necessarily have to be books. It can be movies. It can be video games. Mm. Yeah, I don't think it's prescriptive. Um, but I, I do think there's something here I, to, to this advice. Um, so here's kind of the approach. Like my, The way I frame it in my, my line is I started writing – because I enjoyed reading and I read because it was fun, not because it was work. And so when writing became my full-time job, I, I wanted to fill my days with work and therefore reading was not work. So it shouldn't be part of my day. And so that's what, that, that was the trap I fell into where I just wasn't reading because I was spending my day doing what I called work things, you know? And so for me, I kind of take a slightly different approach. Pippa. Um, I agree with you. I definitely think it's not prescriptive and we shouldn't say you have to, you have to read three hours a week, you know, but for me, it really does come down to, I write better when I do read. And so I have to make, and, and because I, I don't think of reading naturally, it's easy. It's fun. I, I enjoy it. I, I thoroughly think it's one of the best ways I can spend my time. Therefore, because I'm American and grew up in this world where work is, you know, what we have to be doing so much of, like, I can't, I, I, 
I don't want to read because <laughs> I feel like I'm not working. I feel guilty. I should be writing. So I actually calendar reading time. You know, I, if, if, if it gets to the point where I'm not reading enough, I stick an hour on my calendar every day that says, this is when you're going to read. Um, okay. You know, I've got a podcast podcast that I'm going to read for 30 minutes and then I'm going to go and do some other things. It's that important to me. It's like sleep. You know, um, I, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of sleep. And I think we severely underestimate how even people who do understand how important it is severely underestimate how important it is. And I think reading is the same way for authors. There is just no other way of getting what you can get from reading um, out of it and putting it into your own fiction. Yeah, TV and, and video games and, and things like that are, are, are great. I don't know if I'm cutting out or not, but um, if they're not the same, you know, they're not the same as reading. There's something about reading that's like, it's like, yeah, do all those other things. Go watch TV shows, go watch movies and interpret them as, as like a writer would. There's something about, for me, seeing the words on a page in the genre that I write in um, to see how, a, even if it's not a master, just seeing how anybody else does it that just starts making these connections in my brain. That um, I, So I, I can't cut it out. And when I do, I, I notice it because my writing starts to suffer. I don't have good ideas. I feel like, you know, I'm just I'm like, oh, I'm not reading enough. So anyway, that's long-winded an answer, but. Oh, it's a good one. And how does everything? Oh no! No no no! Pippa, please, please. I was going to ask how people balance their uh, fiction and nonfiction reading. Mm. Too. Oh man, that's a good question. Mm. (laughs) Very poorly. Mm. Am I? Am I? You're assuming I do any balancing whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Bold of you to assume that much. (laughs) (laughs) But like, yeah, that's one of the balancing acts that I've been having trouble with recently as well. So. I think I think this is pretty solid advice. This is one of those, you know, that the best writers are readers. This is one of those wisdom nuggets that's been floating around forever, as long as kill your darlings, um, which never made any sense to me. But uh, but th- this one makes more sense because I understand why that uh, I understand why reading makes you a better writer because you learn tropes and you learn story structure and you learn to see how other people do voice. Um, so it's, you know, there's a mechanical reason why it's actually beneficial, not just for the enjoyment. Um, but yeah, I think if you, you if you especially want to try a new genre, you got to read in it first to see how other people do it. Absolutely. And like he says in the article, he says, read a variety of things. Reading other genres can be so useful if you've come to this like stopping place. And you can't figure something out. So, for instance, I do recommend romance to tons of people because I have not yet found a genre that better presents people as part of a giant nexus of loyalties and relationships. Mm -hmm. Just on the balance, romance excels at that and it makes all of the people's actions so much more weighty. And so, you know, depending on what you're writing, you can have tons of inspiration from other genres as well. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, looking at our time, I think we're going to start to wrap this up. Do you guys have any mulligans or alibis for the show? Anything that you think you need to bring up that you missed? (laughs) Uh, Nope. And do we not have RA anymore? Oh, hi. I'm popping in and out. This is very weird now. Uh, Jim's blurry. Nick is a floating, cir- a, a floating circle. I don't know what's happening here. Gumby <laughs> has made an appearance. Uh, I think maybe 
the heat is getting to Nick in that small office with no air conditioning. Oh, he's so. he's bendy. I didn't know he he bends around. I found a I found a Gumby in here, and I'm, I'm trying to do the Gumby oh, moonwalk. I, Gumby I didn't, didn't know bend. Gumby was. Bendy. Oh, what are you saying? <laughs> right no, 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 no. Sorry, I know Gumby was bendy. I didn't know this Gumby was like a proper Gumby. I thought it was just like a like a plush kind of Gumby, but this is. <laughs> This is good. This, this is, good. is why all I'm, our fans is... keep begging us to do a video stream of the show. <laughs> That's true. All, all our fans keeps begging us to do a video was... stream of the show. <laughs> <laughs> it was right. a weird episode last week. They started talking about Gumby. Yes. And I couldn't see the Gumby. We should save imagine, all this stuff for the Patreon. Imagine Gumby. <laughs> I think the they were for yes, Patreon. the paid Apple. All right. Good deal. So, uh, end of the show. Besides Gumby, uh, do you guys who's got something good that we can end this show with this week? Something um, good. Come I'm, on, I'm moving. So that's uh, we're moving for my wife uh, to do uh, something with her career that's going to be really, hopefully, really big. So uh, I'm just excited for all that. It's, I mean, it's moving, so it's hell, but you know, it's it's going to be a good, it's a good reason, and we're keeping the house that we love so much there. Um, so hopefully, that all goes well. But mostly good news. That is very good, man. That's very good. Anytime somebody's getting ahead in life, man, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. There you go. You know what I mean? All right. Well, let's see. We're going to wrap this bad boy up. So for all of us uh, here at Often News Weekly, thanks for tuning in. I'm R.A. McGee saying this meeting is over. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.